left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Kind of like horse racing. I heard it once said that people that go bet on horses, they go to the track, they're picking the horse. I want to bet on this horse because they're going to win, but it's the people that win all the time, they bet on the jockeys. Because the jockeys, they don't ride the lame horse, they're going to ride the winner. Just like a syndicator, they're not going to purchase the lame apartment complex, they're going to pick the winner. And once I realized that, that's the key. It's not the deal, it's not the returns, it's who you're working with is the most important thing. Very excited to have Travis Smith, founder and CEO of TribeVest, which is an online platform that facilitates small group investing. Travis formed his first tribe with his brothers to try to grow their wealth through alternative investments. Helping others invest together became a passion of Travis's, and TribeVest was born. And now he has hundreds of tribes investing millions of dollars into all types of assets and businesses. Travis, can you share some of the ways TribeVest uh, helps build wealth for passive investors? I go back to when my brothers and I were first thinking about forming our, our first investment tribe. Prior to that, we invested in our 401ks, and that's all we knew. But everybody we knew that was wealthy was invested in real estate or owned a business. And by us coming together to form an investor tribe, pulling our capital, put us in a position to invest in real estate, to start a business. TribeVest gives people the ability to come together and do more than they would or could on their own. Can you tell us how listeners can get in touch with you? Absolutely. They can come to TribeVest.com. I love the origins of how TribeVest started with you and your brothers. Thanks for that, Travis. If you want to learn more about TribeVest, visit them at www.tribevest.com slash partners slash LF and get your first $50 deposited in your tribe's bank account. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. This is Jeremy Roll, and you're listening to the Pass Investing from Left Field podcast. Today, I'm happy to have Jeff Anzalone with me. He is the debt-free doctor. He's a periodontist and became concerned that his family only had one source of income, so he learned how to build multiple streams of passive income, and now he's, his mission is to help others learn that as well. So, Jeff, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you uh, very much and honored to be here. So as we start out, you know, the first thing I like to do is kind of get your journey. How did you get into passive investing? What did you do financially until you found investing in syndications? And, the, and I know you also are debt elimination. So can you kind of just tell your journey? Yeah, sure. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. After completing dental school and then a four-year residency program, I was planning on coming back here to Louisiana and joining a group practice. 
Unfortunately, about two weeks before that happened, the group called to tell me that the deal was basically off the table. And we, my wife and I had accumulated $300,000 of student loan debt, had a two-month-old, and we had already bought a house here in our hometown with an interest-only loan. And the worst part of the situation was, you know, I didn't have a clue about how to start a practice, how to run a business, how to get patients, anything, because I was relying on them, you know, to teach me. But um, for those of you, for your Rocky Balboa fans out there that <laughs> you know that um, whatever it was, Rocky 10 or 11 or 12 or something, <laughs> he told his son, he said, it's not how about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And that that's what those types of things are what kept us moving forward, because as you know, you know, life's going to knock you down. And that was just before that, I'd had some issues and mistakes and stuff that had caused setbacks. So I just looked at it from that point of view. Fast forward a little bit. We got on the, the Dave Ramsey plan at that point, and it took about six and a half years to get out to become debt-free, consumer debt-free. And it wasn't until I'd say about six or seven years ago, we were snow skiing and I got off the lift and then I fell at it like a kid cut in front of me. And when I fell, it bent my wrist back. And fortunately, I, I didn't have anything like a permanent injury, but that was the first time, you know, that was like on a Saturday and I had to go back to work on Tuesday. And that was the first time that I thought, what if I couldn't work this week or for a couple of weeks or a month or, or whatever. So I, and it made me realize that I was excused upon really skating on thin ice, you know, but as you know, Jim, you're, you're never think about getting sick or injured until what you get sick or injured. Right. You know, I've got two teenagers and, you know, for those of you out there with teenagers, you know, that they think that they're invincible. Yes, they do. <laughs> until they're, until, until they're, they're not. not. Yeah. So I knew I had a problem and I'm the type of person who likes to reverse engineer things. So I know that pretty much anything that somebody wants to do or create, it's probably already been done. So I started following and learning about other successful people, how they got out of this, out of the same type of situation. And I started studying successful people, millionaires, and, and I found two interesting facts. The first one was 90%, the average millionaire, 90% of them had real estate in their portfolio. At the time, I had none, except for my interest-only home. Right. Second fact was the most millionaires had an average of seven income streams, and I had one from my practice. And that really helped narrow things down for me. So I knew I needed to look at pursuing real estate and getting multiple streams of income from real estate. But I didn't have a clue where to go, where to start. So again, I just started looking at what other people did and and I sat out with my wife and you know I, I didn't want to work longer. I didn't want to um, work extra days, uh, have extra shifts, you know, that, do that sort of thing. But I, at that time, I thought the only way that you could invest in real estate was be a landlord. I didn't know anything about all these other ways that you can get in. So I started talking to friends of mine around here that manage a lot of their parents' rental property. And after going to lunch with them and meeting with them, I realized that 
in order to do this thing right, to scale it, it's literally a full-time job. And with having a full-time practice, I was just thinking, I don't, I don't know how I can do this. But luckily, I went to a meeting in Dallas that a dentist was giving to a room full of dentists. And that was what really opened my eyes because there was maybe seven to eight or nine other ways that you can invest in real estate if you were a busy professional and you didn't want to be a landlord. Then I chose the group, the syndication route. At that time, that was 2015, 2016, I started doing crowdfunding. That was what what was starting to get big. Did a few crowdfunding deals, debt deals. Those worked out okay. And then I um, decided to go big. And at that time, Realty Shares was was the big player, kind of like Fundrises now. Did my first equity deal. It was a apartment syndication in Tulsa, $50,000 minimum. And after about, a I don't know, 10 months to a year, all the investors received an email basically stating that the deal is basically gone away. It's, it's failed and everybody's lost their money. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and again, the, the old, the old Rocky uh, thing, you know, is in the back of my head, you know, you're going to get knocked down. It was a it, very good learning experience because really I had, sooner or later, this was going to happen because I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just looking at the pictures and numbers and picking the one that looked the best. And that led me to syndications to where I could actually work with the syndicators one-on-one, you know? And then um, during this whole time period, I started uh, my blog, debtfreedr.com. That was nothing more than just sharing my experiences that I was having along the way. And for the person that's a busy professional that wanted to do this, what I thought was important that they should know. And then I just started writing articles about it. And then after about a couple of years of doing that, I started hearing the same request over and over. Jeff, this is good. You know, we, we like your stuff, but we don't have time to, to figure out who to invest with or this and that. Can you help us with that? So I started a, a separate group. Basically, what I do for those people is just anything that I'm personally going to invest in, I simply email it out to the group so they can look at it. And then um, if they have questions about it, you know, they can ask me, but I'm just being transparent with people and then just so they could see what I'm doing. Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't, you know, I'm not perfect, but that's kind of where I'm at at this point. That's a great story. I, I, have, I have a couple of questions. First off, Dave Ramsey is obviously well-known and his thing is get out of debt as fast as you can. So are you advocating eliminating all debt, eliminating all debt, or is it just consumer debt? And then the next question with that is, how do you go from Dave Ramsey into doing things like real estate? Like, how did you, did you have to do a mind shift to kind of say, okay, I got rid of my, the debt that I wanted to, now I want to go invest. Was there a, a change in mindset there? Yeah. For those of you that, that know anything about Dave Ramsey, you know, the majority of his wealth is in real estate. But I still don't understand why he doesn't really talk much about it, if at all. But that, you know, it's, you know, what he does. So maybe he has a whole other group that I don't know about. I don't know. (laughs) But that was really when I was listening to Dave Ramsey 15, 18 years ago and following his principles, that was really the only thing that I knew. Kind of like you, you can attest to this because you, with your financial advising um, that you used to do, right? Yep. 
when we get out of training, it really wasn't until not that long ago, you know, seven, eight years that I thought the only way that that you could go through your career is what the financial advisors have told us and told me. And you've got to work, you know, you're, you're going to be in this job for 35, 40 years, and then hopefully you'll have enough at the end to retire. That's all I knew. So when I was working, doing the Dave Ramsey thing, that's all I knew. So I went through his whole process. But when I got out of that, you know, six and a half years, I was learning along the way. And then I figured out, well, there's other ways to skin a cat. Real estate was one of them. And that ski incident, ski uh, accident sort of thing, that really opened up the book to show me all these other different things out there. But to answer your question about the mindset shift, yes, I went from, I shifted like a couple of times because in dental school, you don't really think too much about your loan situation because maybe it's kind of like these guys in college that know that they're going to go to the pros. Not that I'm not that I made or make the pro salary, but you kind of know you're going to have a decent income. So you're like, oh, you know, I go in a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt. You know, I'm going to get out and make six figures. That's not the end of the world versus if I was going to get out and make 20 grand a year, I'd be sweating bullets. But so I went from an abundant type mentality to the deal getting pulled out from under me. Boom, scarcity, fear. And then while we were getting out of debt, survival mode, because I was mowing yards again as a periodontist. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was I was the most highly trained yard guy in the country for a while there, you know. <laughs> but I mean, literally, we had zero coming in and, you know, the payments were starting to come due. So after that situation, then once I started acquiring some passive income streams, then I started going back more to the abundance mindset. Every real estate seminar, course, book I've ever been to or read, it always talks about you have to have a mindset shift. And and I've given my kids these books that I've read as well. And the first thing they did it for me was, you know, the Purple Bible, Kiyosaki's yeah. book, Cashflow Quadrant, Mitch, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And you start to think about things. I'm self-employed. I'm thinking, you know, I got people working for me. I'm the man, right? But once you realize from him that you're nothing more than a highly taxed employee because if Jeff don't show up and dig into people's mouths, he don't get paid. And I'm just trading my time for money. And once he put things in perspective for me that if you keep that model up, then yeah, you will work until you're 70 or have to. Again, that was the mindset shift for me. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you went from kind of, and you noticed it, right? Abundance mindset to scarcity back to abundance. And I think Dave Ramsey, you know, he can help people get out of debt but it's a scarcity mindset a little bit so that if you don't, then once you're out of debt, where do you go from there? And I think that's the challenge is to get back into that abundance mindset, which you said you were talking to your wife about, well, I I don't want to work more shifts or work more hours. I want to find a different way to do it. And that's by getting additional income streams. And, you know, the skiing accident, which guy from Louisiana going skiing, that surprised me. But, (laughs) you know, the fact that that kind of turned the light switch on is is pretty powerful. And the other thing I, I want to mention is, you know, you're you're one of the people that I've had a few of you on the podcast that have the first entrance into real estate goes bad, right? You lost your $50,000. And most people I feel like would be done. I just lost 50 grand on this real estate deal, not doing another one. So how did you get back into it? How did you one decide that okay, I lost 50 grand, but the I'm still going to go move forward. How did you decide that? And then how did you have the confidence that 
this is the thing I'm going to do, even though the only time I've tried it's failed. Yeah. And it wasn't like I lost 50 grand. And then the next day I went back into the casino and I started playing blackjack again. You know, <laughs> I did think about quitting a good bit. I, um, but again, it showed me, I didn't know what I was doing. There was thousands and thousands of successful people that were doing it. So I know it could be done. And I just simply just took a step back and started learning, reading. I, I can't tell you the exact amount of time, but I, I know it was probably close to a year after that before I, I did anything else. And I, and I really studied a lot. And because and it, it, it took a while at that time to recoup the 50 grand, you know. Right. So that, you know, that that helped. But um, once I figured out that, as you know, the most important part of the deal that I was looking at, kind of like horse racing. I heard it once said that people that go bet on horses, they go to the track and they they're picking the horse. I want to bet on this horse because they're going to win. But some people that win all the time, they bet on the jockeys because the jockeys, they don't they don't ride the lame horse. They're going to ride the winner, just like a syndicator. They're not going to purchase the lame apartment complex or or hotel or whatever. They're going to pick the winner. And once I realized that, that's the key. It's not the deal. It's not the returns. It's not anything like that. It's who you're working with is the most important thing that I found. And so far, I've got I'm at eight deals right now, and I and I do I add several more each year. And so far, since I've been doing that, um, knock on wood, I haven't had any any other issues. I completely agree that the sponsor is the uh, the most important part. And now I'm glad that I'm going to be a better horse better as well. But can you talk about how do you pick a sponsor? Because, you know, you're going to get a 30 minute to an hour meeting with the investor relations person, and then they're going to send you a deal. And then the next thing is you're going to wire them 25, 50 or $100,000. So how do you know that they're a quality sponsor and that they're the, the best jockey to ride that horse? It's not an overnight deal. I mean, it took me a while of going to meetings and conferences and talking to people, meeting with sponsors, meeting with their investors. You know, every time that I talk to a new sponsor, I want to know three things. I want to know, well, more than three things, but I, I want to be able to connect with some of their established investors. I want to be able to connect with some of their newer investors. And then I always ask them this question, which most people don't think about, but you can ask them, hey, if you're not able to, if you were not able to invest in your own deal, who would you invest with? And if somebody says, oh, well, there's nobody else out there but me, the conversation's over. It's kind of like somebody came to me and goes, you know, if you had to have somebody in your family get, get treated and you couldn't treat them, who would you go to? And if I said, well, there's only, you know, I'm the best periodontist around here or in the country or whatever, then, I mean, it's kind of like that, you know. Right. So it it takes a while, but the longer that you're in this business, you're going to hear the same names coming up. And then you're also going to hear the same names of coming up to invest with, but the same people to avoid. And I started investing with the ones that I kept hearing. And then now that I've invested with them, I can tell the difference between them. And then moving forward, that's how I start to to filter it down. It's just trial and error. Right. So you've said you connect with their current, like the newest and some of the experienced investors. So do you ask the sponsor for referrals and then you, you call them up and just chat with the current investors? Yeah. And then when I go to meetings, uh, there'll be people there 
typically, you know, like if I'm meeting with a sponsor, you say, oh yeah, you know, this, that guy over there has been with me for 10 years. And then, you know, so I'll go talk to him and I want to ask him about the sponsor, but I want also want to ask him who else, do, who else do you invest with or who else have you invested with? So right. you can get a lot of information. Don't just say, who do you invest with? You know, who, who have you invested with? Who do you avoid? Who do you recommend? Have you done any deals that have gone full cycle? What were the actual returns to the projected returns? Are they timely on their distributions? Are they timely on their K-1s? You know, so you can ask those questions to everyone, you know, all the investors. So you kind of know they're, if I'm going to invest with a sponsor and I have questions or whatever, do I just get, you know, when I call or when I email, am I talking to some guy over in Taiwan that there's, it's a virtual assistant? Or do I actually get to talk with somebody on the team? You know, because if I'm giving somebody a six-figure investment, not only do I want to connect with them, but now that I recommend people on my website, that's even a higher amount of due diligence that I feel that I need to do because, you know, in the Bible, it says reputation is, is the most important thing, more than riches and gold and all that. So if, if, if you can't be a man of your word, then you're worth nothing. So I'm trying to be as transparent to people as possible and letting them know, hey, here's what I'm doing. Hopefully it'll work out. Here's all the steps that I've taken. And um, if you want to invest here. That's great, but I'm not forcing you to invest. Right. So you're kind of doing a, a follow me approach, right? You're, you're just being transparent about what you're investing in. And if people in your network want to go along and follow you, then, then that's their choice. And I, I like how that you, you still have responsibility to your network, but you're also eating what you cook, right? Because you're recommending the things you're already investing in. Yeah. And sometimes what I can do, I can, because some of these deals now are 75 to a hundred thousand dollar minimums. But sometimes what I can do is get them down and say, Hey, look, you know, I've got Joe Smith over here. He's never invested before. Could you lower it a little bit? Maybe, maybe 50 grand. And sometimes they'll do that just because I've been with them, that sort of thing. So I usually I'll ask that if people need that. Yeah. And that's one of the things we do at left field investors as well with our network. There's, you know, there's a few sponsors that there's, five, 10 of us that invest regularly with them. And so, you know, if you go to the sponsor and say, Hey, we're with left field investors, they might let you in the first deal at a lower minimum. So that that's, that's pretty common. I think that's helpful. And, and that brings me to my next question is, you know, if you're putting 25, 50, 75, $100,000 in these deals, how do you diversify? And what is, what is diversification for you of these multiple income streams, but are they all in one asset class, different markets? How do you diversify? That's a good question. I think that will help people to sort of get their financial goals, what they're looking for. So moving forward, they'll know I'm, I've got two teenagers, so I want something that's a little more risk averse. So you're not going to have as high as a return, but it has like a proven track record. So I want something that's already cash flowing. You know, it's pretty much occupied. It's been been around for a while. So I know when we buy, you know, typically six months after it closes, it's going to be paying distributions versus something that's very speculative. Hey, you know, it's going to be four or five years before you see your money. This is a new concept or new development, but man, you can get 40% on your money, but you could also lose it a lot easier. So that those are kind of two extremes, but we're, I'm more of the, the more risk averse. So it's, it's more multifamily. I did do my first two hotel deals this year, but it was structured similar to multifamily. 
And the only reason that I did that is because, man, there was there were so many good deals out there because a lot of these groups were having to get rid of a, a lot of their properties because they were hurting so much for capital from the previous year from the coronavirus. It just kind of depends on that was just kind of a one time thing. But multifamily, I'm kind of looking now into potentially some self-storage and some land entitlement deals that I don't know much about, but I am researching that now. I would say the majority of it is uh, multifamily for now. Hey, Left Builders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. You mentioned the hotel deals. Are those conversions into apartments or they were still going to operate as hotels? Can you talk a little bit about the hotel deals? Because that's, that's unique. And I know there's a lot, of, a lot of people out there right now that are looking at hotels because they had such a bad few years. There's going to be hotels coming on the market. Some people are converting them to apartments and some people are still operating them as hotels. So I'm curious what your deals were like and, and how you found them. These are hotels and they're staying hotels. The, the group that purchased them, owns them, they have history of being in the hospitality space. So it's not like they've never done this before, but they got such a good deal on them. Um, the, one of them was uh, the True Hilton and the Design District in downtown Dallas. It was open in January 2021 and we picked it up like in May. So it only been it was, it was an old bank building that they spent millions of dollars. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's brand new looking, but we got it for like 14 to $15 million less than they paid for it. And, and literally it was open for five months. So it's wow. literally all you got to do is just buy it, do nothing with it. And, and it's going to come up. It's kind of like, you know, buying a nice house in a nice neighborhood and it's 60% off, you know, and then it's, just next year, sell it if you want to. So it's kind of like that. But I know nothing is is uh, certain, but it certainly was a good deal. And then the other one was just literally two weeks ago in Mooresville, which is a beautiful little suburb of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, like NASCAR capital right on the Lake Norman up there. And it was a, one of the Hilton as well, home two suites, okay. that kind of the same situation picked up a, a really good price on it. So there, those hotel deals are definitely out there. Again, it's structured very similar, like five or six year hold as your multifamily, you know, you get a quarterly distribution and then the plan is to sell it for a, a profit split at the end. And how did you find those? Are those through sponsors that you're already doing multifamily with, or those di- just different connections that, that you made with people that were hotel operators. I mean, they're already experienced hotel operators you, you mentioned. Yeah, that, it was a sponsor that I had previously uh, worked with, Nepali Capital out of um, Dallas. But there are other syndicators out there. And I was listening to a couple of different podcasts that, that they were talking about that as well, that they were looking at hotels as well. So obviously that's going on right now. So if people are interested, actually, I 
I learned a lot because I didn't really know much about it. So I learned a lot and I, um, I wrote an article on it and then I took it because it's so much information and I broke it up into two different videos. So on my YouTube channel that I started a couple months ago, I have like a hotel investing part one and part two, where I just walk people through the basics of what I learned if they were interested. Okay. And is that something that uh, we can put in the show notes so people can, uh, can get a link to that? Sure. I'll email that to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, perfect. Perfect. So you also mentioned land entitlement. And I know that you said you're researching it, so I don't want to put you on the spot. But is there any information you can talk about? Like, what is that? Just so that maybe other people that are interested can do some research as well. Yeah, it's, um, and again, I, I've just kind of started the process and I had a, a group reach out to me and they've sent me some information and uh, they're actually out of Austin, which isn't too far from me. We've been remodeling a house for a while, so I've, I've been kind of going through and, and learning a little bit more about construction. But in essence, what it is, is when you, like if you go by and you see a vacant piece of land, well, before it's sold, let's, let's say you want to sell a piece of land and develop it into a, a residential neighborhood. Well, whether you know it or not, there's a lot of things, regulations and zoning and all kinds of stuff that needs to be done prior to putting it on the market and selling it to an invest to a developer. So when a developer buys it, it's ready to go. Everything is zoned. Everything is ready for roads, utilities, everything. So the, what, from what I'm understanding is when you invest, you're investing in that first part where, where the, they're getting it all ready to go to sell it. And it's, it's a, it's a shorter hold period anywhere from, 12 to 27 months, but some of the returns that I'm seeing are 25 to 28% that they're able to get. And especially in the Austin area and where they're investing, the the demand is just so high to build because there's so many people are moving in and there's not any space. So, and even the guy said, it's like, look, this is only going to last around maybe three, three and a half years. And then that's it. So they're trying to get in on it now. So that, again, I'm just researching it, but that's, I'm in the process and I'm almost, actually, I, I just uh, published an article about investing in base, uh, vacant land and about the entitlement. So it's it's a pretty interesting process. Okay. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind sharing those as well. I mean, I'm, I am always interested in new asset classes and, and new ways to invest because that's one of the ways that I like to diversify is by mm-hmm. getting into different asset classes. And I'm sure our, uh, our listeners would enjoy hearing about those as well. So, but mostly it sounds like you are currently in multifamily. So my question is, what are some of the most important deal-specific metrics you look at when evaluating a deal? I know your main concern is, I got to find the sponsor, but then what else, once the deal comes and you, you trust the sponsor, what what are you looking at from a deal in a specific deal? Are you looking at rent increases, vacancy? What What kind of things are you looking at to analyze the deal? I like to be more hands-on. So I either like to go and physically tour the property, or if we can't do that, then a lot of times they'll have somebody there that will walk through with the phone and we'll do a Zoom call. But not only just the property, I want to know about the area. I want to know about the growth. I want to know about the what other apartments are renting for. What can we go to? You know, if, if, they're, if we're renting for $850 a month, but we can go up to $1,100, and we can make some improvements, then we know we won't be priced out of the market. I'd like to know, you know, population growth, what are, what are some of the major economic drivers in the area? 
you know, I look at it more from that standpoint because we know, you know, hey, a Amazon distribution center was just built or, you know, they're adding a new school or hospital or whatever. And, you know, like, for instance, that Moore's, that Mooresville property that, that I just invested in, the hotel, literally is walking distance from the Lowe's uh, corporate headquarters, like 12,000 employees. So you can, and, and here's, here's the thing, the, what we found out was, and if you wouldn't be able to do this probably if you were trying to do crowdfunding, but what kind of sealed the deal for me was there was zero, any type of sales presence in that hotel. And most people think, well, why do you need, why do you need sales in a hotel? Well, think about it. Here you are, you're right next to, you know, you're right down the street from NASCAR land and, but you also have Lowe's. Well, don't you think that Lowe's is going to bring in groups of people every week? Don't you think they're going to need event space or, or plate, you know, people to, to stay at hotels, but there was nobody out there actively going, Hey, we want your business. Here's what we can do for you. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, you know, things like that is what we're looking for that you could buy it and improve on it without really spending any money. Yeah. You work with a lot of passive investors. Are there, what mistakes do you see them make or, or how would you, another way of saying it is in our group, we talk about shortcuts, meaning that someone can learn from us and they don't have to go through some of the beginning stages, like the losing money on deals and things like that. So either what mistakes do you see people make or what kind of shortcuts can you give people so that they can get started and, and kind of move to where you are more quickly? One of the greatest resources I tell people, and but most of them won't get through it because it's a very, very exhaustive book, but it's very thorough. It's, it's Brian Burke's book, you know, the, the hands-off investor. I'm telling you, if people read that, they'll know more than 80, 85% of the people that are in the space, but most people won't take the time to do it or go all the way through it. But if you could just do that, um, I would recommend that. But the other thing is most people, unfortunately, won't take any action. They'll go down the rabbit hole and they'll learn all this stuff and they'll go listen to all these podcasts and read books, but yet it's always an excuse. And I told somebody not that long ago on a call, this guy knew as much as I did. And I said, well, how many deals are you in? He's like, well, I've been looking for a few years. And I said, I'm not being mean or anything, but I said, you're going to look up in 10 years and you're going to call me back and I'm going to have about 50 deals under my belt. And you're going to say, well, I'm still looking. I'm going to say, well, I'm retired now and keep looking, keep going to work. So sometimes you just got to trust your gut. I mean, you got to trust people. You have to, you got to pull the trigger. And if you don't, it'll never transpire. I think those are just two fantastic pieces of advice. That book, The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke is is one of the one of my favorite investing books and it's one that, you know, we recommend everyone read. And then the other, you know, just take action, right? At some point you have to just get into a deal, put some money down, send that wire even though you're nervous about sending $25,000 to somebody in a wire, but you just have to take action because like you said, if you don't you're going to be in your W-2 10 years from now while you and I are on a beach or skiing somewhere, right? And uh, and you just have to do it. And so I think that's really, really good advice. And uh, the last question I ask on the podcast is, what's a, what's a great podcast that you listen to? Hopefully it's real estate or passive investing, but even something else is fine as well. Besides yours? 
Well, thank you for that. I will definitely, uh, I'm, I'm counting that as mine. Yes. <laughs> Whether you hate him or love him, I mean, he's, he's a great marketer, but I think it may have been, may, he may have quit doing this, the Grant Cardone podcast, but I think he may have started that back up again. But just because you listen to somebody like Dave Ramsey or Grant Cardone or Robert Kiyosaki, that doesn't mean you got to follow everything that they do. But if you could just take one or two things out and he's, he's real big about, learning the marketing, learning sales, which is going to help you with anything, you know, your right. business, but he's real big about taking action. And he's really big about telling people to not start small. So you're going to spend the same amount of time and energy and research buying a single family home as you are a 10 plex, go ahead and buy the 10 plex and you can scale a lot faster with that. So I like listening to him. And then I like listening to Tom Wilwright's, uh, one, I think it's tax-free wealth or a ta- wealth ability podcast. Yeah. yeah. So th- those are two that, you know, there's, you know, I've gotten more into YouTube now. I'm really liking a lot of the different YouTube channels. Th- those are probably two of my main podcasts that I listen to. Excellent. Thank you very much. This has been great. I really appreciate you being on. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? They can either email me, jeff at debtfreedr.com. Or, and I'll, I'll give you the link, uh, I'll put together a free passive income guide that they can grab that at debtfreedr.com forward slash free guide. It's for people that um, want to get started. They're not really sure where to get started. And, and it, it kind of puts you on the road to what passive income, not really how to do it, but what it can do for you to help motivate you to get off the couch and do something. That's great. I appreciate that. I will put that in the show notes for sure. And again, Jeff, it was fantastic having you. We really appreciate you being on the show and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. Yep. Thanks for having me too, Jim. That was a great conversation with Jeff. You know, it's always interesting to me that his first equity deal was a total loss and it was crowdfunding, so it wasn't syndication, but that was his first real estate deal where he's buying into the equity. He started out, as I said, not really knowing what he was doing, kind of like how a lot of us started. And he he has a a loss to start out, and he still goes back, learns more, and then has the courage to invest again. And I think there's a number of people that I've interviewed, a number of people in our group who had similar experiences where failure was the beginning, but failure was also the lesson. And I really admire people who have that initial failure, but have the strength to go try to learn where they went wrong and make improvements and then get back and get into it. And that just kind of relates to the, he was talking about, you know, get off the couch and do something. And I really liked how he said he was talking to some guy who, you know, for a couple of years was thinking about it, thinking about it and never, never took action. And he told him, Hey, 10 years from now, I'm going to be retired because I'll have done all these deals and you're still going to be looking. And so you're still going to be working and not going to get out of W2. You're not going to have those other streams of income that are so important. And so I thought those were really valuable insights. And then finally, he talked about the importance of screening a sponsor. We never detect talking about that here at Left Field Investors because it really is the most important part. And you know, you still have to evaluate the market, you still have to evaluate the deal. But if you start out with the wrong sponsor, none of the other stuff matters. And Jeff has the same philosophy. So we match up in a lot of places. He's a great guy and uh, yeah, I'll be keeping track of him for sure, and hopefully have him on again.
Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.